So what do you do about it? Well, I think what you do is start with you. You know, you start with restoring that connection. And the first step is to lay down the weapons, right? And to say, I'm here for it. And that non-resistance, that um, posture of engagement ends the war with yourself. When you say insomnia, anxiety, pain, joint pain, whatever it is, when you say like, I'm here with you, I'm turning towards you, I'm going in, I wanna know more about this. I wanna actually feel this. I value this. Your entire life changes with that one shift against yourself, you know, towards yourself. And then I, you know, I advocate for an order of operations. Um, and that's what I have been teaching for over a decade is you first start with the reclamation of choice through lifestyle change. Prophecies have foretold and wisdom keepers all know that the rise of the feminine will restore balance to our world. In this podcast, we are on a journey to understand the root of the imbalance that has caused disconnection and dysfunction within our humanity, so we can emerge as leaders, creating a new story on Earth. I'm Lauren Walsh. And I'm Shayna Connors. With humble hearts and open minds, we will converse with spiritual teachers, historians, psychologists, revolutionaries, leaders, and healers to navigate these evolving times and reintegrate the feminine history that we have forgotten. Welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. Hello, hello, and happy new year to all of the Time of the Feminine community. This is Shayna here, just wishing you the most beautiful, abundant, joyful turf as we walk into this fresh place for a new year. Even though technically I feel that the new year starts when spring does, or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, I guess it can be a new year for you. It's nice and sunny and bright. So anyways, this year for me is all about health and really feeling healthy and full of vitality from the inside out. And because this podcast is so in line with everything that Lauren and I do and what we believe the time of the feminine is really here for, we've partnered with an organization that feels the same way. And the woman, Marcella, who who started this company, was on our podcast a few weeks ago, and she's been with the Global Sisterhood since the very, very, very beginning. And so it feels like a perfect alignment to share this new offering that she has. And it is specifically formulated blends for women to complement our self-healing powers, but they support PMS and menopause relief, hormone and mood support, and urinary tract health. So ladies, this is something that we don't often talk about in public because it can often be embarrassing, whether it's having low libido or constantly dealing with UTIs or having these really painful menstrual cramps that I have myself. These formulas are here to help. And so they have specifically blended formulas of beautiful herbs and also high quality CBD that works to enhance the healing properties that you have within you because our bodies 
are inherently good and they want our best and most vital selves to be present. And so this brand works with that. And so they're offering something very special for our community. And that is if you check them out at goddesswell.co and end up purchasing one of their products, that you can get another product for free. So if you buy one product, you get another product free by using the code SISTER. And the intention is that you buy another product and you give it to your friend. So I just wanted to share this with you because Goddess Well has really supported us in this time. They're our official podcast sponsor for the Time of the Feminine. And I just believe it's so important for us to take care of our reproductive health, you know, our our beautiful bodies that have done so much for us. And for those of us that are still in our days of going through our cycles, you know, this is so much of our life that we deal with this. So why not make it, you know, the beautiful time it's supposed to be. And so go ahead and check out their products. I promise you from using them myself, you will not be disappointed. Hello and welcome to the Time of the Feminine podcast. This is Shana here. And today we have a very exciting episode for you with Dr. Kelly Brogan, who is a holistic psychiatrist and the author of New York Times bestselling books, A Mind of Your Own, Own Yourself, the children's book, A Time for Rain, and co-editor of the landmark textbook, Integrative Therapies for Depression. She is the founder of the online healing program, Vital Mind Reset and the membership community, Vital Life Project. She completed her psychiatric training and fellowship at NYU Medical Center after graduating from Cornell University Medical College. She has a BS from MIT in systems neuroscience. She is specialized in a root cause resolution approach to psychiatric syndromes and symptoms. But beyond this, she's a total badass. We have such a good conversation today and I can't wait to dive in. So Kelly, welcome to the podcast. I just took a nap during that bio reading. (laughs) I need to shorten that. It's great to be here. Thanks. Kelly, I'm so excited for you to be here today. And I just feel being in your field that you're just a powerhouse. And so I want to talk to you about this very traditional path that you went down going to medical school and going after these super intense and rigorous degrees. And from knowing about your experiences, you've gone against the grain to getting into more holistic treatments. And so I'm curious about how that journey started for you. It probably started in my teen years where I had an incomplete rebellion (laughs) from my parents that I then perpetuated and probably am in ways still perpetuating through my adulthood, you know, because we are not initiated to adulthood. So we carry all of our unfinished business from childhood and adolescence, just straight into that pantsuit. So I have been, as long as I can remember, like a provocateur, you know, like I like to experience myself as different, as unique, as having Uh, Like I almost find myself in how I'm not like uh, somebody that I'm near, which is through the psychological lens, a response to, you know, what is called enmeshment trauma, right? Where maybe I grew up feeling like I only got love if I had the same reality, you know, as the person I was seeking love from. 
And so now I'm in this, like, like I said, this prolonged process of being like, well, I'm not you, I'm not you, I'm not you, you know? So it has a shadow for sure, um, where I can often feel, you know, sort of isolated and terminally unique, I guess, you know, like this is not going to work out for me unique. However, um, my professional career as a renegade, I guess, began in 2010 when I had a, an experience of a diagnosis. It was my first diagnosis, a medical diagnosis um, ever, really, and of Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And I, I said, well, I'm not participating in, in this, <laughs> in this whole thing, whatever that whole lifestyle with uh, prescriptions forever and you know, doctor's appointments. And even, even though I was obviously participating on the other end of it as a clinician, and that is when I was intent on finding a way out. And my way out led me like out, out, you know, of the whole system. And I spent many years like super angry, you know, in like righteous bitch energy, fighting the system, not knowing that that's actually, now I call it the erotic caress of the enemy. You know, it's like this obsessive adolescent comportment towards the very energy that you say you don't like, you want, you know, you want to be different, but you're like almost obsessed with it. So a lot of activists get caught in that loop. I was there for a number of years, very angry, pretty um, miserable, you know, sort of like distress that I brought children into this place. Mm. And, you know, now I've sort of carried that subconsciously, that like provocative energy. I mean, even some of the things I just said about activists, are very upsetting to activists, <laughs> you know? So it's like somehow I just keep developing these perspectives, which are about myself ultimately, right? Like things I observe about myself and my shadow, somehow pushing boundaries, making people uncomfortable with my perspectives. And, you know, the most recent one that I've experienced um, so much pushback from that has given me a lot of material to explore within is has nothing to do with my credentials or my perspective on pharmaceuticals or you know, home birth was a big thing. Like when I came out as a home birth advocate, you can't imagine, you know, how many women tried to put me on the stake. It was, it was wild, you know, uh, and I have a perspective too, about how a lot of those women are, you know, part of the system in ways that they don't know they are like they're part of pharmaceutically funded women's liberation organizations and stuff like that. So that's a whole other conversation. However, my sharing of my body publicly, and what I mean by that is, you know, posting videos of me dancing in a bikini or in like booty shorts or something like that and pole dancing, the same energy that I have experienced from my, you know, activism days of people calling me reckless and dangerous, uh, especially in the psychiatric world, except now it's almost entirely from women, which has been interesting. So it's like, I, I certainly didn't intend for this when I, I got to this point of like, you know what, I'm going to de-secret this part of my life. I love dancing and I have a body. I'm not just a head that talks, you know, and I am going to incorporate my vital force, my Shakti, my Eros, like into my daily experience of self. And that's going to look in a lot of different ways. And it's definitely going to look like, you know, presencing the reality that I I like to, I, this is one of my deepest joys is, is dancing and choreography and, and just getting, you know, getting better at exploring my body in these ways. And so that is, has been really humbling, honestly, in many ways to, to experience how fractured we are as women, mm -hmm. as a collective, like we have a mm -hmm. lot of work to do. And, um, I've come to the conclusion actually that the first place that we can start to do that work 
as women is to stop imagining that we know how another woman should behave. That's it. <laughs> Literally, full stop. Because that is how we project our own disavowed parts, judge them in somebody else, and we assert our control, our will, and all of these very infantile psychological um, defenses. And we create so much disharmony and you know perpetuation of exactly what would end the minute we release every woman to her journey. And we say, you know what? Mm -hmm. I don't know what's better. Like, I literally don't know. I don't know if you should take that pill or not. I don't know if you should leave that relationship or not. I don't know if you should wear that outfit or not. I don't know if you should be saying that or not or posting that or not. You know, I don't know. How can I support you? <laughs> you know, how can I actually be in service of helping all women rise? And if I don't have something to say that is in that lane, how about I shut up? <laughs> so like I started this practice actually with my own daughters and specifically around their dress and like, I don't know what you want to say, like clothing appearance or whatever, because, you know, I was raised where that was like, oh, I mean, it was just like years and years and years of just painful feedback, you know, from my mom about, you know, my appearance and just nitpicking and, oh, why does your hair look so dry or like, you know, and she also would tell me like, I, and still does like how beautiful I am and all these things. So it's not like she was negativistic. It was just when I had to experience myself, my body, my beauty, my appearance through her eyes, I was constantly trying to read like, what would she think? She wouldn't like this. Does she like this? And of course I'm totally fundamentally disconnected from my own sense of self, from what pleases me about this body, about this hair, about this, you know, these lips, you know, these hips. <laughs> and, uh, and I vowed not to hand that down, you know, and if my daughters like got dressed in like shorts where I could see, you know, the crease of their butt, <laughs> I zipped it, you know, mm -hmm. and I feel really proud um, of myself actually for committing to that because the reflex became, um, it extinguished, you know, we're now, yeah. If I don't have something, you know, supportive to say, complimentary to say, then I don't say anything because they didn't ask me unless they ask me, you know, if they say, Hey, what do you think of this? That's totally different. And, and we all have that rule with each other. It's a, it's an agreement and it, it does generate an experience of safety that I, you know, I certainly, um, am just beginning to enjoy in certain relationships. Wow. I'm so grateful for everything you just said. And the energy I feel about you as a being is just expander. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of one of those things that's really uncomfortable for people that are so complacent, right? Each of us has our own story of what reality is and how everything's supposed to be. And we want to like attach so deeply. And that's what's happening in this time, I feel, is that like all of that complacency is being ripped away. Like, I'm sorry, you no longer have the safety and the security and this reality that was kind of imprinted on you by our culture, our society, that there's like, there's embedded safety here. Like, that's not true, you know, and actually it's causing you to have health problems and your mental health to decline. And like, you're actually like, feeding on this parasite thing that is our culture. Like, and so when I see someone like you who is in her power, that is expressing her desires, that is in love with her body, that is expressing this and, and, and very aware 
also of everything that's happening behind the scenes of your own actions and beliefs. And like, that's power. And it's not surprising to me that women are all kinds of triggered because there's part of what you have that they want, Hmm. that they're unable to fully like accept within themselves. Yeah. I mean, I've been on, I've been on the other side. That's why I get it. You know, that's why I don't engage it either. And I don't, you know, it's nothing other, as long as it bothers me, it's because I agree with them. Right. So I've gotten to the point over probably a year of, you know, sharing, you know, different types of like, I mean, it sounds so silly, but yeah, like dance videos that um, I love making and I love making the videos and just, I love everything about it. It's it's so fun for me and it's a therapy. And I've finally gotten to this place where like now I can hear people tell me that I am doing a disservice to the very, you know, mental patients that I say I'm here to help, that I am, you know, undermining women, that I am working for the patriarchy, that I am like MK Ultra program Satanist, that I'm a bad dancer, that I'm, I have an eating disorder, that I'm, the, I mean, like, it's a real long list. And just be like, yeah, I really like the video. <laughs> you know, like, that's what my response is like, I really like the video. So it, as long as it, something bothers us, hurts us, triggers us, you know, like it's because a part of us agrees, you know, so it's that part wants my love, my attention, like has nothing to do with this person. I isn't, might not even be a real human, like literally. Yeah. And, and I, I've, I don't know, it's, it's been a, it's been an important journey. So that's why I think like the experience of external judgment from other women, it's a judgment to say it should not be happening, right? Like, I don't know for sure that it shouldn't be happening. So how about I just let it happen and play with it? So that's been sort of where I've attempted to get to is how can I come at these experiences, these dynamics with just a little bit more playfulness, with just a little bit more lightness? Because, you know, everything I say in this hour, I could be totally off base about. I could be completely wrong about. And the only... um power I do have, if I have one, is that I am at a place in my own inner masculine development where I can hold myself through the the experience of shame when I am wrong, (laughs) you know, so I can also known as I can own my shit pretty well, you know, and that, and all that that means is that I can feel the feeling, you know, literally like I can feel the feeling in my body and not try to not feel it by saying a thing, you know, lashing out, doing a thing, distracting myself. So, and that has been like a multi, multi-year process of my healing my nervous system to the extent that I can actually have the energy of shame, like move through my chest and up my neck and like into my armpits and like out my ears and, and literally know that I can hold the energy. Like it's, it's not going to be forever. You know, it's it's like childbirth, these little experiences of feeling simple feelings. It's literally, it's like childbirth. Like, how can you just be there for that much energy moving through your body, knowing it's in service of, you know, a, a harmony, like a, a harmony that can't come otherwise. Like it has to be moved, expressed, felt. And when I say moved, I don't mean like moved out, released, let go of. Like it wants to actually be like fully, fully, fully felt. You know, so maybe that is, you know, if there is a power, maybe that that is one I've cultivated to some extent anyway. So I want to get back to 
what you shared about like getting out, getting out of the system that you are in into another space, because it seems like you've cultivated a lot of things that don't teach you in medical school, right? (laughs) It's a different way of thinking and being that I'm sure took a lot of self-work. I know it did. So I'm curious about what happened, like once you were out of this system that had kind of raised you in a way, and then what that journey looked like to raise yourself. Hmm. I I like that question. You know, I sometimes refer to the medical system as a cult because it does have a lot of the defining uh, features and qualities, including that you get punished for speaking out against it and attempting to leave. However, I was in that system voluntarily and I was in that system because I was a match for it. My consciousness was totally compatible with a system that requires somebody to rest in disempowerment. Not only, you know, the the doctors, the patients, you know, the, the entire system is based on victim consciousness and much of the hierarchical systems in the world are, you know, that I don't, I can't, I don't, all of this languaging, right? I have to, the implications of all of those phrases being that I require an outside authority uh, because I, because I cannot source the power from within, right? So when you have a symptom and you get scared and you run to the doctor because the doctor knows better and he has the tests and the scans and the things, you're reifying that belief system that you're, you don't know how to talk to your own body. You don't know how to interpret your own body's messages. Your body's making a mistake because it's stupid and faulty and does random scary things. And you are colluding with the doctor against your body. That's the victim triangle, right? So the villain, you're the victim. The rescuer is the doctor and the villain is your body, right? It's not a very empowering trio that you set up. And I think as I began to recognize that taking responsibility and moving into the uncertainty and taking the risk of being wrong, right? A big reason that many people don't have a natural birth or many people don't try holistic medicine or whatever is because they're programmed with, well, what if it doesn't work and I'm wrong? How ashamed will I feel that I did this stupid thing when I could have just stayed with the pack, right? And, and stuck with the tried and true approach, right? So again, getting comfortable with being wrong, getting comfortable with people thinking you're bad, (laughs) you know, this is a nervous system development. It's not just like a choice you make one day to say like, I don't care what anybody thinks. We all care what everybody thinks, okay? It, it only stops mattering when you don't happen to agree with what they think and you're super self-allegiant, right? And you know that you've got you. You're like, you can be you thinking you thoughts and that's cool because I'm me thinking me thoughts, right? And that is a that's a progression that the first step of which is reclaiming the power of choice and personal responsibility. So when I said, I don't want to be taking a prescription for the rest of my life, going to CVS every month, having these appointments, honestly, it was like largely lifestyle, like logistical thing. Like I was like, that sucks. Like, I don't want to participate in that. I was not, I had no idea about healing this condition. I did not even know that was possible because I'd not interested myself. And of course we're not taught about remission, not taught about cures in quotes, you know, like we're just taught management of symptoms. That's literally all that's on offer through Western medicine. They're not tricking us. They never were selling wellness. They never were selling cures. 
they never were selling like the meaning of your symptoms and your illness being highly, highly, highly relevant in timing, in nature, in character to where you are in your actualization process right then in your life. That's not on offer. So the fact that you, you don't get that there, it's like, if you want to be upset about that, you know, that's like being upset that they don't sell vegan meals at a butcher. You know, it's just like, you're not aligned with your power of choice. You don't know how to wield that, what I call as a superpower, right? So when I said, I don't know, but that's a no. <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but that's a no. I'm not doing that. The next stone rose to my foot. So, you know, I've called that like the sacred, I don't know if I can swear on this podcast, but like the sacred fuck no, you know, like there is a moment for many of us as women where we need to scream that no, this is not for me, right? And it could be to a partner, it could be to the system, it could be, you know, to your parents or whatever. But that first boundary that you courageously hold, knowing that there could be great punishment for holding that boundary, where you confront what I think is the primal feminine fear, which is the fear of being murdered, being killed by the bare hands of the male aggressor, right? The bad daddy. When you confront that fear and you say, you know what? Try me, <laughs> you know, do it. There's an energy of, it's like a soul reclamation moment where a part of you comes back in because that part says, oh, she can handle this. I don't need to hide in the shadows anymore. I'm coming on back, All right? I want to see what's going on here. And so in that moment where I said, no, like, no, this system, I invested $200,000 of debt into blood, sweat, tears, trauma, like, fuck it, right? I'm out. That was my initiation. Well, I've had many, many since, but that was a big one. <laughs> uh, fortunately, unfortunately, that was a big one. And then the stone rose and I, a naturopath fell out of the sky who happened to be, you know, totally brilliant, very academic, which I needed. Right. So I couldn't have gone to like a sage burning, like dream catcher, you know, kind of a situation. Um, I needed somebody more like the kinds of folks I was used to being in the cult with. Okay. And so she said, okay, here's what's going on. Here's gut brain connection. Here's how your endocrine system fits in here is what you need to do with your diet. Take these supplements. And I watched my numbers correct in six months. Uh, within a year I was in remission. That was, uh, I don't know, 13 years ago, you know, so it's just not even a thing, um, in my life or anything other than that. I'm like, you know, I, I've had a lived experience that I will carry on forever of knowing that the body doesn't make mistakes and, it's nothing to be afraid of, right? So that lived experience, I never could have read in a book. I couldn't have watched a movie about it. You know, I had to go through that, you know, faith process, I guess. And then of course I made an academic study of it, wrote a couple of books on, you know, what happened exactly. And that also helped to solidify and crystallize my faith. Then I met a mentor, um, Nick Gonzalez, who brought it home, you know, who totally brought it home for me because, you know, he, for 27 years in his practice, worked um, in the in the trenches, resolving the incur incurable, you know, stage four cancers and neurodegenerative illnesses. And he transferred that level of knowing and faith to me. And I, um, this is how I live, it's how I raise my kids, you know? So the, the process of resolving my victim consciousness began with my mind, right? So it began with reframing 
what I thought was a horrible thing happening to me as an opportunity to level up. And that's how I see every single horrible thing that happens right in my life. It's like, all right, this is an opportunity to level up. Here I go. And, um, and then it was, you know, a body journey, you know, I had to reunite with my body and, uh, learn to trust my body. And of course that will be a lifelong process of really, really, um, developing that commitment, staying with my body, knowing that it's me telling me about me. And then, you know, the spiritual dimensions of like relational, you know, so that's what I've been focused on the past probably five or so years is like, where is my victim consciousness hiding in relationships and dynamics? And at this point, I will say, um, very recently in my life at a place where in all of the relationships in my life, in including estranged family members and, you know, ex partners and my kids and, you know, people who've worked for me, people, all, all of the relationships that I can think of, I have nothing unspoken. And that has required moving through like the nausea, you know, sort of waves of like, oh my God, anything but that conversation many times, many, many, many times. And that is when I really feel my spine. Like that's when I really feel my courage. Like people are like, oh, you're so brave, like doing what you do. Honestly, this is like, it's like a whole, my whole personality is like a, a defensive construct to, you know, meet my needs and make my world feel safer. This, this, it requires literally no courage for me to do my job. What requires courage is for me to know that there's a conversation I have to have with somebody, feel like I would rather die than say those things, have that conversation, get that real, you know, eliminate those assumptions and then schedule it show up for it and do it. Those are the moments where I literally like weep with self-love, <laughs> you know, with just like, oh, wow, I did it. It makes me like teary. Just like thinking about recent conversations I've had, you know, it's so hard. It is the hardest, hardest, hardest work. And what you get back is all of the energy that went into that unspoken script because it's a lot of energy. Hiding is the most expensive cost of our everyday um, lives. And so how you proceed with, you know, bringing those secrets out into the light of day, and then you proceed the big secrets, and then you proceed with like, you know what, I never did tell you this, or you know what, feeling this, or you know what, like, this isn't working for me, or, you know, we never, we never circled back to that rupture we had all those years ago, like, where are you at with it? Or, you know what? I was really shitty, you know, when I did that, or I uh, really wish I had done said this. I have these conversations with my kids all the time because I'm a big believer that it's never too late to own your shit as a mother. <laughs> you know, it's never, never too late. Literally, like think about like if your mom came to you decades later and said, you know what? I was thinking about that thing that happened when you were six and I am so sorry, you know, like that would mean something big to any of us. Like it's, it's net, there's no, like, what is the expression? Statute of limitations. So I am often in that cycle with my kids where I'm like, you know what, the way I was in the kitchen, like a couple hours ago, like, I'm really sorry. And I, I wish that I had been more open, more available. I felt myself get scared and that's not your problem. You know, here's what I wish I had said. So getting into that practice of transparency has, uh, been the, deeper resolution of that, that victim reflex and habit. 
for me and not that I am by any means, you know, free or done, but it's a process. And for, for me and for so many of the people I work with, it's like, get your mind right first, get your body reunion going strong. And then your nervous system will be in a place where you will have the spiritual fortitude to, uh, available to yourself, literally physiologically to have these, you know, to engage these courageous losses, endings, and, um, to live with, with fuller, self-honesty and interpersonal honesty. You know, in my last book, I broke it up to like, get real, get well, get free. Like for me, that's how I, I think of the journey. Yeah. Cause when you're talking, what I feel is just like radical self-responsibility. You're just like owning the full container and instead of blaming, you know, we were talking about before the projections that other people can put on you or others. Like you're just like full on, like, this is my territory and I'm going to take accountability for what's here. And it's so cool to see. I love hearing you talk because you talk on so many levels and I, I'm like tracking like, wow, there's so much capacity in this woman. She's been through so much and she also is in alignment. Hmm. Like there's alignment there. And, and when there's not, you're checking yourself. Can't everybody do that, please? I appreciate that. Yeah. It's also important to, you know, to presence the fact that like I, especially interpersonally, especially around like, you know, relation, like romantic relationships, like, oh, I can go deep, (laughs) deep victim, you know? And the only, the only sort of like shift in, in my lifescape is that my friends and I share this worldview, you know, Uh about shadow work, you know, and personal responsibility. And when I need to go there, and be right about how wronged I am. I we set a container for that, and I'm like, listen, I just need you to listen. Like, I need to vent. This is like really, really, you know, like whatever. Sometimes I also with my friends go silent. You know, like there are times when I'm feeling in my victim and and scared, angry, whatever it is that, and I, I literally just can't speak with empowerment that I'll go on like a fast on a subject. So I'll just like stop talking about the subject for a week and commit to just not going there because I don't know how to go there from a place that feels aligned with my like values. So it's an, it's an ongoing, it's a practice, it's a practice. And it is one I'm pretty committed to. And when I am called out on it, it's something I also can be like, oh yeah, you're right. (laughs) I am doing that thing. There I am again, (laughs) doing that thing. You know, so it's like, but like the first time you, you own that or somebody says like, you know, I felt that cause we feel each other, right? Like when I'm, and I'm super, super sneaky, I'm super manipulative. I really good at it. So like, if I wanted to like secretly position myself as like, poor me, can you get on my side, please? Like I might do it in a very intellectual way where I'm just sort of explaining the situation. This is just how the situation is, right? But if I am, you know, called out on it the first time, I don't know when was the first time, but let's say the first time, the immediate shame response, again, like if you can't hold that, you will fight back. That's called being defensive, right? Like, and everyone feels, we feel each other's shadows. We feel each other's hidden intentions. We feel each other's fakery and artifice. That's why authenticity is becoming more and more like the, the currency. That's probably why, you know, video and voice uh, has taken off uh, socially. You know, 
I, I'm thinking about writing another book and I'm like, does anybody even read books anymore? I don't know. I love writing blogs. I'm like, I don't know if people read, but because we can feel each other so much better and we can attune to who it is that feels clean and clear and that we want to be around. Right. So the practice of owning your shit, it's like, you just need a, one or two experiences under your belt to then the next time it happens. It doesn't mean it's always easy, especially if you're in like a more contentious dynamic, you know, like it's one thing with a girlfriend who loves you and like, whatever, but you know, to own your part in a romantic relationship, you know, that's full of strife and finger pointing. I mean, that's like high level mastery. Right. And there are all sorts of frameworks to support that imago therapy and what, you know, what have you. But once you go through one or two experiences, it gets easier. It does get easier. And then you can bring a level of playfulness, like a level of lightness, a level of like, Oh, okay. And you know that I see what you're saying. That makes sense. I mean, to just say, I see what you're saying to someone that makes sense to be able to say those two phrases to somebody you completely feel pinned to the wall by the first couple of times you say those things, you'll realize the, the effect that that has on somebody else. And what could have been like a really, really painful field of blame and, and trauma just diffuses because that's all we really want is like, I see what you're saying. You know, like I, I, I certainly could have used that phrase a number of times in my childhood, you know? So it's a practice, it's a practice. So I'm curious about, you know, the rise of, of like mental unwellness. I don't know. It's like people are just unwell, it seems generally. And it's been interesting for me as I've been continuing to wake up, you know, the practice of sisterhood and just like opening up to my feminine energy. And I can feel the distinction so much more clearly, right. Of how shut off people are about how like monotone people are. And I'm curious from like a medical perspective, but also all the work that you've done on yourself, what you feel like is the root of that sickness really. And what steps can people do? I mean, also it's very common to feel, I feel deep sadness. And I feel these like harder moments and it's sometimes I'm there for a long time, mm -hmm. you know, but how do you make the distinction? And then what does one do to help oneself? So we are enculturated around disconnection, right? We have built a society that thrives on one's own self-disconnection and then this um, interpersonal disconnection, this, you know, whether you want to call it epidemics of narcissism or the other side of the same coin, which is codependency, this, you know, I will take what I need without asking because I know it's not coming, or I will, you know, give so that I can get what I need because otherwise it wouldn't come. Right. So this sort of like every man and woman for themselves level of disconnection, this disconnection we have from the natural world, this disconnection from heritage and tradition and rich um, initiation this has all been normalized now <laughs> and that disconnection hurts. It hurts and it induces um, fear because that is how our system gets warned that something is awry, right? And there's a Krishnamurti quote I often reference that is, you know, it's no sign of health to be well adapted to a profoundly sick society. So especially with women, women who are single mothers, working jobs, managing properties, you know, managing households, 
having like occasional time with a random girlfriend in unfulfilling or absent uh, relationships, why would you feel well? Why would you feel well? That would be weird if you did, you know, and this is how I've spoken a lot about postpartum depression. You know, if you do not have your sisterhood around you, your aunts and your cousins and all those women, but it's not just women, right? I believe that a woman's nervous system only really can relax when there's not just one man, but many men at her back, many a tribe of men at her back. And I don't believe that a man's nervous system can properly stabilize without many men at his back, right? That is my reality. <laughs> so if I am raising an infant, you know, I, I practiced in Manhattan and I, I worked with um, pregnant postpartum women all the time. And, you know, it'd be like a woman with like, you know, a couple of hours of a nanny in the week, her husband goes back to work and she's, you know, strapping this baby to her, going to like breastfeeding support group or whatever, and wondering why she feels like totally flat, joyless, like maybe this whole thing was a mistake <laughs> because that's how it makes sense to feel, right? You know, if you can't breathe and you're coughing in your home <laughs> and it's on fire, like the problem is not the coughing. <laughs> that is not, you know, so it's like we, we, um, we have stopped even to appreciate what could be, should be to be able to contextualize what is wrong and what happens then? What is the Guild of Psychiatry set up to do? Oh, it's you. It's your broken brain. Something is wrong with you. And because we believe that something is actually wrong deep inside, that's part of our you know, child woundology and, and rejection. That's part of the conditional love and the split of our badness from our goodness, our lovableness from our unlovableness. We say, oh, you're right. I knew something was broken about me. I knew something was wrong with me. Thank you for that ADHD diagnosis. Thank you for that depression diagnosis. God, bipolar makes so much sense. Now I understand who I am, right? So that validation, that little hit of like validation carries a lot of women into the system and it makes sense. I get it. That and like, what solution is there possibly, right? Like what else can I do? I still have to do all these things and I got to try to make it all work and you know, I don't have time for holistic. I don't have time for changing my diet. Come on. You know, I get all that. I've been that person. And, you know, that's the fun of this lifetime for me is like, I get to play in the polarities. Like I've been so many different people that I know how many different kinds of folks think because I have thought those things. And I'm sure I will continue, you know, like to explore ways that I am thinking now that I will no longer think later. Okay. So, so what do you do about it? Well, I think what you do is start with you. You know, you start with restoring that connection. And the first step is to lay down the weapons, right? And to say, I'm here for it. And that non-resistance, that um, posture of engagement ends the war with yourself. When you say insomnia, anxiety, pain, joint pain, whatever it is, when you say like, I'm here with you. I'm turning towards you. I'm going in. I want to know more about this. I want to actually feel this. I value this. Your entire life changes with that one shift against yourself, you know, towards yourself. And then I, you know, I advocate for an order of operations. Um, and that's what I have been teaching for over a decade is 
you first start with the reclamation of choice through lifestyle change. And, you know, I, I created a program many years ago, Vital Mind Reset, that's, I mean, the miracles that have come out of that program are not because it's like a super unique program or like something super radical I created. Like it's because it is an, a very effective ritual initiation that now has a huge field of energy around it, supporting the belief that you can change your story anytime you want. And it starts with literally changing the time you go to bed, <laughs> the food you put in your fridge, you know, the kind of water you drink, basic, basic, low hanging choices. You engage with commitment and your power is like reignited. And then, you know, all of the rest that follows is predicated on that knowing that you always have a choice. You don't have to continue to, as I say, try to buy eggs from the hardware store. You don't sell eggs at the hardware store. What choice do you have? Where can you go? How about you grow your own, <laughs> right? Like whatever, you have so many choices. And so I obviously am in the camp of not even just like hope for, you know, people healing, resolving, putting so-called mental illnesses into remission. I know that this is possible. I know it's actually always possible. And people don't like to hear that because it's actually, I've been told it's victim shaming and that's okay. You know, for, I get it. <laughs> I get that too. Um, how that might feel for me to say like the choice is yours. Um, you have the opportunity to take responsibility when you're ready. I have been studying readiness for many, many years and I really don't understand it any better <laughs> than when I first started looking at what are the ingredients. And the only things I know are that you're not ready until the second before you're ready. Literally, it's a no until the second before it's an okay yes. So that's just how it is. And you might be a big no to something today. And one month from now, I can't, I, I couldn't even list how many examples of that in my life. I mean, it's like a joke with my friends now when I'm like, oh, I'm not into that, or that's a no for me, or whatever. They now they're like, okay, we'll give it 10 minutes, you know? Um, and the other thing that I have observed is that readiness always feels like relief that is sourced through moving in the direction of change, right? So if moving in the direction of change feels like constricting and terrifying and I don't know, like it's, it's putting you in, in tension, it's not going to stick, right? It's going to be like some self punitive thing you do because you think you should be doing it. Right. Whereas when you're really ready, moving in the direction of change feels like an exhale, even though you have no idea if it's the right thing, wrong thing, whatever it might be, you feel relief. And so that's often an indicator that your next chapter is beginning. Yeah. As you were speaking that I'm like, I'm really feeling shifts in my life and also the relief that's coming afterwards, like the clarity, there's a clarity in that, like readiness. Thank God. There's a scary moment, right? There's a leap right. when you're when you're exercising your choice and you're making the courageous choice, which often I've observed requires, and maybe this is how we just initiate ourselves. I don't know, but it requires losing something that you thought you would die without. A relationship, an identity. I've even gone through that with like esoteric aspects of my intellectual interests, right? Like if I'm no longer, you know, keeping up on the science around this thing, people are not going to consult me as an expert in that thing anymore. And then I'm going to, you know, not feel valuable in that way. And then what, you know? So it's like, 
that's a loss. Even choosing to focus my attention here versus there, all of the potential consequences, like there's so many losses every time we shift our focus, shift our attention and exercise our choice. And there's a, a, there's like a gasp moment of like, okay, I'm doing it, you know? But then after that, it's, it's like jumping into cold water. Like then you're splashing around. It's fun. You know, like, so there's a, there's a moment of, of transition out of your old story. That is a death. It is, it is a death. And sometimes it will be attended by the terror that would, that would often accompany, you know, that uh, experience. And it's because there's a story, there's a narrative, there's a part of you that is um, no longer going to be fed by those little hits of being right about being wronged. And that part of you um, is going to protest like hell <laughs> uh, until and if you can learn to show up, you know, to that part and say, you know, you're not going to die. I'm here. I got you. Yeah. I feel like it's what you speak of through everything is like this, like reclamation of power and the self power within, you know, the ability to heal, the ability to self resource, the ability to, to know for oneself who it is you are, which is a very complex and interesting journey. So I'm curious for, for those women that are out there that are, that are going through the initiation. Like I, I do feel that a lot of the women that are listening to this podcast are either in an initiation, have recently got out of one or about to go into one. And so for that journey of initiation and for like learning to trust in that self, like when you're in your darker times, when you're feeling those darker feelings, how do you, how do you self-resource in those moments? I have a meta commitment to feeling my feelings. Mm -hmm. So that's like literally it. Um, so when I feel anything that I don't want to be feeling or I don't like, <laughs> Or honestly, even that I do like, because I also, you know, as you expand your capacity to hold so-called unwanted emotions, you'll find that your capacity to hold wanted emotions, you know, pleasure, happiness, contentedness, even peace, your ceiling's quite low, right? So you got to expand on both ends. So even as and when, you know, I get the things I wanted, right? It's so easy for us to just be like... Okay, good. Moving on. Tastes like nothing. Uh, and what's the next thing? And to really, really prioritize. I'm not talking about some like big exercise or something, but like literally taking 90 seconds to three minutes to, unless I'm doing like a movement thing, sometimes I'll do that. Like I'll pick a song that has the energy of whatever it is that I'm feeling and I'll like just like literally like move my body around to it. Mm -hmm. But normally it's like 90 seconds, three minutes. I sit down. I find the sensation in my body and I put my hand over it and I attend to it. Literally, I just give my fullest, it's hard, uh, but my fullest attention to like this like deeply curious comportment towards that feeling, like wanting to just know everything possible about what that feeling is, what, what it looks like, what it says, what is it like? And, you know, this is where probably the modality that has been most impactful for me is, um, is parts work, um, or what Dick Schwartz founded called internal family systems, um, and, and family constellations, which is like another, I mean, I don't think they're like formally related in my mind, they're basically the same thing. So what you'll find is that, you know, there's a feeling and then there are other feelings and thoughts and, uh, that will want to take the mic. And so I've also learned to develop intimacy with with those, you know, so 
it, it, feelings about feelings that are within me. And how can I not talk any of these feelings out of being who they are and just let um, them have my undivided, non-judgmental attention? Um, so I would say that is, I mean, that is, it's hard work. It sounds super simple. You don't need any sort of funky methodologies. I mean, there's all sorts of reparenting things and scripts and practitioners and whatever. But if you literally just commit to yourself to sit your ass on a couch for a minute or two, when you have, I call it entering through the upset. So when you have an intense feeling of any variety and be with yourself and your body and what your body is moving through, that trust that you begin to establish with yourself is the safety you imagine is going to come from the outside world. And it's, it's a game changer. So for our final question, if you were to have the divine mother herself, the great mother, earth, Panchamama, to speak through you, a message to our audience, what would she have you say? It's only ever within you, which I guess means all of it, <laughs> your power, your pleasure, all the scaries, you know, that we think are on the outside. Those are within you too. So I guess that's it. Thank you so much, Kelly, for being here on the podcast. It's been such an honor to talk to you. I love being in your presence. It's great. And I'm just so happy for the bravery that you have and the courage that you have to have the hard conversations, but then also go out in the world and like be who you are in that moment. So thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And it was so good to have you here. Um, do you want to share with our audience about where people can find you? Sure. Yeah. Because of what I call the censorship shuffle, the only reliable place to connect to me is through my newsletter. And yeah, I make all my announcements and share everything through, through there. So I think that's it. Thank you so much, Kelly. It was such an honor to have you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Time of the Feminine podcast. It is such an honor every time to be able to host these conversations and to share the stories of the beautiful people we get the opportunity to interview. And so if you enjoyed this podcast, please go ahead and leave us a review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts and write a nice note, or you can do so on Spotify by leaving stars. We so appreciate every single one of you that's taken the effort to go out and to share with others and with our community about how this podcast has touched you. It really means so much to us since for us, this is a labor of love. And so thank you for giving back in that way. If you want to go deeper with the work of Global Sisterhood, you can go ahead and check us out on globalsisterhood.org. There we have a community of women all over the world who are waking up to their spiritual gifts, to their power, to their femininity, and really exploring and studying how we can build a better world together. We have a new offering that's coming out on January 17th called Spiritually Guided. And we have two teachers from the Amazon rainforest who will be teaching about mediumship, spiritual guides, the Orishas, and opening our channels to the divine, to source energy, so we can be clear, coherent channels as we face this transformative time on earth. And so to find out more about Spiritually Guided, go ahead and head to our website, globalsisterhood.org. You can also check us out on Instagram at The Global Sisterhood, and you'll find this course in the link in bio. 
It starts on January 17th, and so you won't want to miss this. So thank you so much, sister, for tuning in. It is such an honor to be in this network with you, and we hope to talk to you soon.